Nehemiah chapter 2, 17 through, third, uh, 17 through chapter 3, verse 32. And we're not going to read all of those verses because you might look at that and go, wow, man, Pastor David's going to tackle a huge uh, section of Scripture. But uh, we won't read through all of that. But yet, uh, chapter 3 is mainly, there's a list of a ton of names, uh, but there's some important things that we can learn even through that uh, list of names. Last week, looked at uh, Ford by Faith. Uh, when facing our fears, and uh, maybe after we went through all the uh, phobias, uh, the list of phobias last Sunday, maybe this week you had to face some of those phobias, and uh, we're reminded of even some of the greater fears that we have uh, spiritually and in our life, and how we can move forward by, by faith. So let's pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. You know, God hasn't put us here on this earth, just on an island to kind of do life on our own and to do the Christian life uh, on just, just for me, just for David. But he's given each one of us, uh, we've, we talk about this often, uh, each one of us circles of influence, not only for the gospel, but also circles of, of, of influence for discipleship. So part of the uh, purpose statement of our church is to follow Christ as Savior and Shepherd. But then the second part is to grow in Christ as disciples. But then it says disciple makers. So as we learn and as we grow, not only is that's not sufficient, God wants us then to help others and to disciple others and to teach others. We see this in many different areas of life. We see parents teaching their children how to do you know, things at home and how to, to use their hands and maybe how to cook and uh, how to do a lot of different jobs like that, teaching them, preparing them for adulthood. We see this in the professional world. You have training seminars and online training and uh, people go through like recycling training. You know, they, they have to go uh, from time to time to renew maybe a, a membership they have or renew a certificate they have. And part of that is others leading, people that are leading others to move forward. Not necessarily by faith, but to move forward. As Christians, as believers, we have the privilege to become disciples of Christ, following Him, but then you know, using our circles of influence and, and saying, listen, come along and let, let me help you to do the same as God helps me. So look with me in Nehemiah chapter 2. We kind of went through these verses in one sense last week, but I want to look at them in a little different angle uh, this week uh, as we lead others together uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the wall uh, of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. You see the transition? So Nehemiah, from the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of the book rather, has been responding to God working in his heart as he saw a need and then began to see that God was leading him to respond to that need to, to a point where we saw last week where he went to Jerusalem and at first didn't hardly tell anybody. He went with one horse and a couple men and began to analyze the, the walls and the rubble and what needed to be done. But it says that he didn't even tell the nobles and those that were going to do the work yet. 
But here in this passage, we see a transition where he comes before the larger group of people and he says, this is the problem that we have. So may we rise up together and, and not have the shame anymore of these walls that are in ruins. And then they respond with what we just read in verse 18, the latter part of verse 18. It says, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. First of all, we see that we need to lead by faith. We should allow God to use his word and his spirit to help us identify a problem. We don't, there's not walls that we need to build around Kennesaw or Ackworth or Marietta, but there are a lot of problems. There's problems in families, maybe even in, even in our own family. And may God use his word and his spirit to, to be sensitive to the working of the spirit and, and to be able to identify. This is a problem area in our family. And with God's help, then I'm going to work on that as, as a leader and as a couple, uh, addressing that problem. As a single person, maybe in your life and as you follow Christ, as you respond to God's word and his spirit, he shows you this is a problem that you have. And with God's help, would you address that? Beyond our family then, maybe you see some problems in the school that your kids are in or at the job that you work at or in the sports community that your kids are involved in or in some other hobby circle of influence that you have and you see some problems that God makes you aware of. I already mentioned Tuesday with the elections, we have huge problems in our nation and have for a while. And may God, we can't, you know, we can't solve everything at once for sure. And sometimes it can seem as Christians so overwhelming, like, what can I do? How can I make a difference? Well, begin to pray. God, help me to see how I, in my circles of influence, in my family, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my larger community, in my city, and in my state, how can I be involved in solving or working towards a solution to these spiritual problems that I see. So may God help us to respond to his word and to his spirit. Then we see in, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. So the first part, Nehemiah is making them aware this is the problem. So he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. In the latter part, he has responded to the Lord, the Lord has given him wisdom in how to ask the king for permission to go back, even in, in, in addressing the king of asking for provision. So God has given him wisdom not only to see the problem, but then to come up with a plan of, okay, what are the next steps? And we see that in the latter part of verse 17. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision or shame. We need to ask God for wisdom to come up with a plan. It's not enough to just to identify a problem. Oh, goodness, in our family, this is a serious problem. Okay, what are you going to do? What are the steps? What are the biblical principles that apply to the problems that you see? 
Maybe in your children, maybe in yourself, maybe within the relationship between you and your spouse, uh, those who are single and the relationships that you have and the circles of influence that God has given you, not enough to just say, these are the problems, but God, give me a plan. Help me to see in your word what I'm supposed to do about that now. And then lastly, at least in this section, look to God as your provider for all that you'll need to move forward by faith. Notice verse 18 of Nehemiah chapter 2. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah made it very clear. He did not come in to this, this group meeting and say, hey, guys, You've been wasting time, the walls have been in ruins, it's it's in shambles, and you're suffering shame, but your man has arrived. Look at me, Nehemiah, you will wait and see, because we're going to get great things done, and you just watch out. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He's bold, he's faced his fears already, I'm sure he's still going to have fears that he's going to face even throughout the book, but yet he comes, and then he points to God, and he says, listen, This is the problem. This is the plan that God's given us, but we're going to continue to look to him because his good hand has been upon me. He's the one that moved the heart of the king to send me back for this provision of the lumber and and the, the safety and all the letters of passage. God's the one. So may we look to God for provision for all that we'll need to move forward by faith. As the memory verse that we cited, you know, without faith, it is impossible to please him. But faith is tough. We want to see it. We want to know the steps. We want to see how is this going to happen? God, how are you going to bring this conclusion to pass? How is this problem going to be solved and when? Sometimes we want, you know, we want that timeline to know. But may we look to God as our provider for all that we'll need. So lead by faith. Secondly, lead from your experience. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18 again. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, past tense. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. So he recalls what God has already done. And as he stands before the people, knowing full well that they have faced extreme difficulty personally, And as a group, to rise up and build. I mean, it's been years, and it hasn't been done. They're still suffering shame. But Nehemiah comes before them and says, listen, this is what God has done for me. And he's leading from experience. Because Nehemiah had overcome fear himself, he could help these Jews and these Israelites overcome fear also. And to move them forward by faith. He had to face his own fears. As we saw in chapter 1, it's at one point it says, he says, I was overwhelmed by fear. But then right after that, he says, but I prayed to God. And then I talked to the king. We will face fears. Just because we're followers of Christ and just because uh, God and Jesus is the king of kings doesn't mean that we're gonna, not going to face fears. The main question is, what will we do then? Will we stop? Become paralyzed? Give excuses, wait, or we say, God, help me to face my fears, help me to move forward by faith, and then as you give me victory, God, may I help others to do the same. 
and still be humble and say, listen, I'm still learning. But these are some things I've already learned and that God's already showed his faithfulness. And may you join with me and let's do it together. Let's move forward together in faith in God. He leads from experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. So Paul, he also learned a lot. Paul wasn't, you know, sometimes we think of Paul as, man, he's, what a phenomenal missionary. And he was. But yet Paul had persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Paul had been miraculously converted, as we all are. It's all all a miracle for every one of us. But yet Paul still learned. He was still learning and developing and becoming all that God meant for him to be. And so Paul says, be imitators of me, but but don't forget, as I am of Christ, as he continues. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Timothy, respectively speaking, is a fairly young leader. There's many reasons for Timothy, as we looked at last week, even to, to fear because of the persecution, because of his, he, he hasn't had a lot of experience leading yet. But notice how Paul challenges and encourages Timothy in this passage in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, verse 10, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So he's just listed a lot of things that Timothy has gone through with Paul. And at least to some extent has observed Paul face these things. So continue on in verse 11. Of my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So once again, he's reminding Timothy, okay, Timothy... These are things that you've gone through or have observed me go through. And the Lord rescued me, Timothy. Don't forget, the Lord rescued me from them all. Then verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, that's not a popular verse. Probably not going to see that on the backs of too many cars or on too many churches' billboards. Come here and be persecuted. <laughs> Woo! Man, sign me up. Get the whole family. But it's true. If we follow God with all of our heart, we're going to face some difficulties. We're not going to be accepted by everybody. And there there will be some level of persecution that we will face. Verse 13, as we follow on, While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, But as for you, and notice this phrase, this is key, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul says, Timothy, you've learned these things. You've seen these things. You've seen God work. Now, continue doing that and continue forward. You've learned them. You've believed them. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Then notice verse 17, that the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, I want you to notice the transition. Paul has shown Timothy, listen, Timothy, these are things that God has already done in your life and has already showed you. You've learned some things and you believe some things. Continue doing that. But then notice the transition. Paul says, don't just do them yourself, then lead others to do it too. Notice with me in verse 2. Preach the word. Timothy, tell others. Preach the word. Share it. Proclaim it. Don't be embarrassed. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Chapter 4 and verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded Induce, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And then notice how last verse 4 ends. Fulfill your ministry. May we be like Timothy in the things that we've learned, we've seen. We've even been encouraged by other people's testimonies and how God has given them great grace amidst persecution and suffering and loss and health problems and financial setbacks. And we're encouraged by that. And the Bible, like Paul did to Timothy, reminds us, continue doing it. Continue moving forward. But not only that, then also lead others to do the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. The Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. Boy, thank God I don't serve a heavenly Father that is always harsh. I don't serve a heavenly Father who's, who's every move is just waiting to kind of slap me upside the head and go, come on, boy. But he's a father of mercies. Goes on, and God of all comfort. We face struggles many times inwardly that we often don't share. We're embarrassed. Maybe we don't know how to share it. We don't know if we should share it. We don't know who to trust. But I'm going to tell you, you can trust God. And I pray that as we are followers of Christ, I pray that that we can be trusted to help bear some of those burdens that each of us carry. Not one of us is exempt. Don't look at one single person and think, oh, well, they don't have any trouble. I bet they do. I bet they do. They may look successful. They may look healthy. They may have all the things that you think Brings them great joy, but I guarantee you, if you sit down with them and they're very open, there's some deep, dark things that they carry that are burdens, that are tough. The God of all comfort, and then notice verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, thank God, so that, okay, why does God do this? 
But once because he loves us, he's a father of mercies, it's part of his character, it's a part of who he is. But there's also another reason, once again, not that we just become disciples and followers of him, but then that we can help lead others. Notice this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Nehemiah is leading from experience. He recalls, he has not forgotten that moment and maybe those couple months where he was praying about when to talk to the king. And there were probably some other times where he thought, man, I need to do this and I know God wants me to do this, but I'm not sure when. I don't know quite how. Then when the moment comes and the king asks him, hey, listen, why are you sad? And Nehemiah reveals for us to read until today, he says, I was overwhelmed with fear, but then I prayed to God. May we lead by experience. As God gives us victory, then may we be open enough and and, and willing to share with other people. These are some things I've struggled with, but these are things that God has taught me and is still teaching me. Just about two days ago, I was able to send out a text. Lord willing, we were praying that this will happen. There's, there's There's kind of a kink that we've run into with our Brazil trip plans, but God knows all, and I'm not sure what's going to end up with that. But if we are able to go... I pray that we can visit Nathan personally and hopefully be an encouragement to him. In preparation for that, I reached out to another personal friend of mine, Daniel Kopp. We first met Daniel. In fact, he he rented a a house that we had in Macon that we had lived in during a furlough. And we rented a house to him without ever meeting him personally. It was just a mutual friend. But then later as we, began, we, we met Daniel, had opportunities to spend time with him, and then Daniel got married. He was in the Air Force uh, at the time, and that's why he rented our house uh, there in middle Georgia. And then he got married, and we met his, his new bride, Sarah, and became good friends with them. And as we would come back and spend time at our home church, often we'd get together with Daniel and Sarah. And we were very grieved when we heard the news that Sarah was in very critical condition several years back. Begin to pray, Lord, if it be your will, that you would heal Sarah. And Sarah was in the hospital, and eventually they made the decision together. But there really wasn't anything else humanly and medically that could be done. And Sarah came back to the house that they were renting from us and was on hospice care, probably in her late 20s, max early 30s. I can't imagine. As I remember very, very freshly helping my mom in hospice care. But your wife, late 20s, maybe early 30s max. I'll never forget on one occasion we had scheduled a phone call with Daniel and Sarah. And we were in Brazil and we called back. And at the end, Sarah knew she was going to die soon. But at the very end, Sarah says... I'll see you soon. Man, wow. Praise God. In her mind, she knew exactly where she was going, and she was able to say with confidence, I'll see you soon. I got off the phone, I'm like, Kim, that's hard to say. It's hard to hear. Sarah passed away. But Daniel's been faithful. Has he grieved? Absolutely. Was he sad? I'm sure. In the years to follow, Daniel, he didn't just disappear, but he continued to follow Christ. 
He learned many things through that. God put in his heart to start a ministry of financial planning specifically for those in the military who had lost a spouse. And so now what he does is he gets together with those in the military who've lost a husband or lost a wife and and helps them do financial planning. But in addition to that, and more importantly, I think what is his passion is he begins to share with them, these are some things that I've learned and that God has blessed me through great loss and through great suffering. And he's ready to share with others. In recent years, God blessed him with Anna. They're happily married and now have a son, Weston. So I reached out to Daniel. I said, Daniel, hopefully we're going to Brazil. We, Lord willing, will be able to visit personally Nathan. This is what's happened. He's just lost his spouse due to a brief but intense struggle with cancer. What are some books that you've read and some things that, that I could maybe take and share with Nathan that have been a blessing to you? Daniel responded back and said, hey, these are some things. This is a good start. How, why, why does it matter? Because Daniel has been through it. He can lead from experience. So I'm sure as he looks back, I'm sure it's still a, a sad thing to think about, but yet I, I have no doubt that Daniel also looks back and can see God's being the father of mercies and God being the God of all comfort and how God even orchestrated those dark and, and, and hard and difficult moments to give him the ministry that he has today to lead others to move forward by faith, even amidst great suffering. Lead by experience and also lead with expectation. Lead with expectation. Notice we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. We, if you don't remember, verse 19, we've just read how Sanballat uh, has, has ridiculed them, how Tobiah, how Geshem, they, they jeered, it says, they despised us, they've, they've accused them of rebelling against the king. But then notice verse 20, with great expectation, Nehemiah leads and he says, Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. We see here that God's power is greater than any obstacles. These were powerful men. At one point, this job had already been stopped by King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah knew full well that all it would take is for the king to to say one proclamation and just to say, stop the rebuilding. That'd be it. All the effort, all the lumber that was being accrued, all the plans, all the hope. Nehemiah knew that. But yet he's leading forward with expectations. He says, no, uh -uh. the God of heaven will make us prosper. In a few chapters, it becomes clear that the external opposition is very widespread. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So if you're, still, if you're in Nehemiah, jump ahead to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. But when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Astadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. 
In those two verses alone, we see opposition to the north. It appears from even historical records that Sanballat was a governor or leader in Samaria to the north. So opposition to the north. Opposition to the east through Tobiah and the Ammonites. Opposition to the southeast, the Arabs. And opposition to the west, the city of Ashdod and the Ashdodites. Doesn't look very promising. The people around them are not applauding. Yes, yeah, go Jerusalem. Go Israelites. No, to the contrary. They're like, listen, we will do everything we can to stop you. It becomes very clear that external opposition is widespread. Now, you and I, we're probably not going to face opposition from representatives of South Carolina or representatives of Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia or Florida. Let me guarantee you, you will face opposition. When God's called you to do something, brought attention to a need and to a problem, and has given you wisdom to move forward to address that, you will face opposition, no questions. You'll face it. But God's power is greater than any obstacles. God's power is enough to help us, chapter 2 and verse 20, join together with others to accomplish this work. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20, the latter part, It says, and we, his servants, will arise and build. So Nehemiah says, listen, I have great expectation that God of heaven will make us prosper. So let us, his servants, arise and build. God's power is enough to help us join together with others to accomplish his work. God's power is enough to help us separate from others who want to prevent us from doing God's work. Notice within Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse 20, but the latter part of the verse. Nehemiah says, but you, talking to those in opposition, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah doesn't sit down with them and go, okay, I think we can compromise a little bit. You know, God's called us to do this, but we know that, you know, we kind of have to get you on our side, so we'll kind of compromise. And and, no, he doesn't do that. He says, no, the God of heaven... He's called us to do this. He's going to make us prosper. We're going to do it together, and you're not part. If you don't want want to help us, if you're not going to support us to to doing what God has called us to do, then we won't have any part with you. God's power is enough to help us separate from those who want to prevent us from serving him. Fourth, we see not only does he lead with expectation, as we've just seen, but he leads towards unity. Nehemiah leads towards unity. Nehemiah chapter 3 and the whole chapter has some principles of how Nehemiah leads with unity. Some, some of the foundational principles of unity. First of all, we see that the unifying purpose must be God's purpose. Nehemiah doesn't come in with his own plan and just to build up his name and to build up the Israelites' name, but he comes in with God's purpose. And he made it very clear in Nehemiah chapter 1 In verse 12, this is something that God wants. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 12, he gives reference of that certainty when he says, God has put this in my heart. This isn't a dream I had. This isn't some, you know, aspiration that I think is really cool. It's going to look good on my resume. You know, the the rebuilder of Jerusalem's walls. He says, no, this is God. This is what God's put in my heart. Then Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 17 Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
chapter 2, rather, in verse 17. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. So it points back to God. Nehemiah 2 and verse 20 that we've already read, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Now, there's another group of people who did join together that we see in the Old Testament, and they joined together to do a huge work. But yet, there's some problems. Look with me in some of the descriptions of unity in some sense, that this other group that I'm referring to has. I'll tell you the reference in a minute to not give it away. The whole earth had one language and the same words. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They also said, come, let us build, you know, a city and a tower. The Lord said of this people, they are one people. They have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. But there's a huge problem. They were unified, not around God's purpose, but around man's purpose. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now I'm going to read some things that that make it very evident they were not seeking God's purpose. Genesis chapter 11, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 28, God has told Adam and and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then there's there's, there's another mention of that commandment, even later on, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. For Noah and his sons to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth. But then in Genesis 11, this group says, let's, let's build this great city and this huge tower, and the top is in the heavens, lest we be dispersed. Well, I mean, that's really what God wanted them to do, was to spread out. So this is not God's purpose, this is man's purpose. But notice Genesis 11, verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. This is only the beginning of of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. Then verse 7, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. There was unity. They did a a phenomenal work, but it wasn't God's purpose. May the Lord help us individually. We may do some, some phenomenal things, but may it be God's purpose May the Lord help us as one hope church as as we move forward. May God help us maybe 
not pursue necessarily just big success and big numbers and all these things, but first and foremost, God, we want to fulfill your purpose. Help us to be faithful for what you want us to do. We see then that the unifying purpose must be God's purpose. Nehemiah made it clear that rebuilding the wall was something that God had put in his heart, but he also passionately rallied others to fulfill God's purpose, not just his purpose. You know, unfortunately, I think through the years, this was even true of the Corinthian church. This was true of some of the churches in Revelation. But through the years, churches and church families sometimes have been very guilty of not focusing on God's purposes, but maybe fulfilling some of man's purposes. May the Lord help us to be very clear. What does God want us to do? Misguided leaders have rallied their followers to elevate man's purposes rather to embrace God's purpose for the church. Sometimes in modern or sometimes in pursuit of success, sometimes in pursuit of fame, power, and influence. Sometimes it's been over the things that Believers thought, you know, or at least on some surface thought they were fighting for something noble. Maybe being very divisive about one translation of Scripture. Maybe being very divisive about one personal preference. And those were man's purposes. They weren't, they weren't moving forward God's purpose. But on the other extreme, we have a lot, of time, a lot of churches in modern day that under the banner of tolerance, under the banner of extreme love, say, hey, everything goes. It doesn't matter. Just, just say you love Jesus and everything's okay. There's, there's no way that God wants us to live. We sang even one of the songs, I, I, I noticed because God made, made it jump out at me, holiness. That's part of God's purpose for the church. But unfortunately, in our modern-day context, that's not really emphasized a whole lot because it's not real popular. So may God help us to avoid both extremes and be very clear, what is God's purpose for the church and for me? And God, with your help, can we move forward and do that? Nothing else. We also see that the unifying person must be God himself. Throughout this chapter, there's many different people. There's different types of people. But yet, all these people, they're not seeking first and foremost Nehemiah's affirmation. They're not seeking first and foremost maybe to get a plaque at the end or to get their name on a, on a brick of the wall or to, to etch their names in there, you know, in memory of the, the you know, whatever family, the Ezra family. They're not doing that. Their goal is to, we want to please God, at least some of them. Now, we'll see throughout Nehemiah, some did not have that purpose and were corrupt. And Nehemiah called them out. But may we also remember that, first and foremost, if God is pleased, that's all I need. May we serve him. He's the unifying person. Some of the transformational aspects of unity, we looked at the, kind of the foundational principles, but let's close in looking briefly at some of the transformational aspects of unity. First of all, teamwork is required. 
Teamwork is required. The phrases all throughout chapter 3 of next to him, next to them, after them, all point to the importance of working together. Boy, that was something that we had to stress over and over and over again with Michael's soccer team all season long. Don't be a magnet to the ball. Don't trip up other team members because you want the ball. Spread apart. Play as a team. Pass each other. Every practice, every game. And a lot of times I think God may be saying, church, work together. Don't trip up each other. Don't clobber each other in trying to do the work of the ministry, but work together. May we, may we do this for God's glory. I won't read through all of the all of the names, but I encourage you to read through chapter 3. At first glance, you may think, well, this is kind of boring reading. But I think you'll be challenged as you think about all, every name that you read is an indication that God knew those people individually and God had called those people individually to help to, for them to help fulfill his purpose together as Nehemiah led the whole group in a very diverse group. That's powerful. 20, 40, 50, 100, 200 years, if God, if, if Christ tarries, the Lord, you may not have a, we may not have a book written about One Hope Church, but I guarantee you, God knows you personally, every believer of Jesus Christ, and what he's called you to do is super important and will fulfill part of God's greater purpose for the church. Don't miss that. God is, is a God of individuals and of specifics. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1, Eliashib, the high priest and the priest. Chapter 3 and verse 2, the men of Jericho, the sons of Hassanah, verse 3. Verse 4, Merimoth, Meshulam, Zadok. Verse 5, the Tekoites. Now, no, Nehemiah calls out in chapter 3 and verse 5, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. And we're going to see a little bit later on Maybe a reason why the nobles didn't want to serve. I think there was some corruption there with Sanballat and some of the opposition leaders. But then we continue on, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 6. Joyadah, Meshulam, verse 7, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranathite. And I listed them all out. It goes all the way through the alphabet, and then it begins as you... As you lists each verse and the different people, goes all the way through the alphabet, and then there's like AA, BB, CC. So as you read through that chapter, there's all kinds of people and groups of people in different locations that God brings together to do his work. Notice with me, this is, I thought this was really cool, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 30, notice. It talks about Hananiah and Hanun, but then notice what it says after that. The sixth son of Zalaph. Wow. Even God, even to the detail of saying, this man, the sixth son. He didn't just say son. He said, the sixth son of Zalaph. He's involved in the work. Praise the Lord. God knows you. He knows what you're doing. He wants you to continue. You know, unity, verse number two, transformational aspects of unity. Teamwork is required, but two, also, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. As seen in the roster of workers and all through chapter three, there's tremendous diversity represented within this group. There's priests, men of Jericho, which is another city, temple servants, goldsmiths, 
Goldsmiths, I would venture to say, probably were not typical masons. The goldsmiths could have said, oh, no, 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 we, we work with gold. But the goldsmiths were there, and they were putting up bricks. They were ready to work. Goldsmiths, men of the surrounding area, it says, rulers of districts, fathers. And then it even one of the verses says, even the, the father and his daughters. Amen? Boy, I, that would encourage me. I've got four girls. Like, yes. Get them, Dad. I mean, the dad and the daughters are working there together. Until God blesses with Michael, I would, I would often kid other guys and say, well, God only gives daughters to real men. You know, so when I had four daughters, that worked. And then when Michael came along, I kind of had to scratch that. But I love it that God, there's a purpose for women. There's a special purpose. God wants women and daughters to be involved in his work. We see that in chapter 3. You know, as One Hope Church grows... Not only do we pray that there's going to be diversity among the nationalities, but I pray that there will continue to be diversity, like multi-generational, different backgrounds, different personalities, different abilities that are represented, because unity is not uniformity. God can use every one of us in a special way. Number three, a plan is essential. As you read through chapter 3, it goes counterclockwise around the city and, and talks about all the different gates. One of them, in fact, the very first one talks about the sheep gate that the priests were involved in rebuilding. You know what's neat about the sheep gate? Jesus, several hundred years later, would go through the sheep gate, that very sheep gate, as the chief shepherd and as the perfect lamb of God. But a plan is essential. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed at the problems we see, the kind of the broken walls, maybe of relationships, maybe of extended family, maybe problems that we see in our community, and maybe even in the church. But may we pray once again and say, God, help us to form a plan and help us to pursue that step by step and little by little, may we do it with your help. To borrow a phrase, you know, that Nehemiah used that the broken walls were causing great shame to Israel. There's problems that you're going to become aware of that God will bring to your attention in your family, in your life singles, in this church family, and in our community that brings shame to him. And what are we going to do? We're going to follow him. We're going to move forward by faith. Are you praying for God to help you to establish a plan and to have the faith and overcome your fear and then to lead others to join you to move forward and to follow him in that? Lastly, number four, God's recognition is enough. God's recognition is enough. You know, many of these people in chapter three were unnamed, but yet they were recognized because they were recognized by God. Nehemiah 3.11 talks about another section. Well, that doesn't seem too noble. Hey, so where were you stationed in the rebuilding of the walls? Well, you know where I was? Another section. Ooh, you built another section? Yeah, I did. Sure enough. They were just building another section. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 13. A thousand cubits of the wall, which is about 500 yards. Well, where were you at? Yeah, that 500 yards. Which one? That one. That's where God put me. 
unnamed but recognized. The priests were unnamed. The men of the surrounding area was a group of people. Temple servants, but they were recognized by God. Overlooked, but remembered. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And one of the verses that has been a tremendous encouragement to me, Hebrews 6, verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Michael and I had a good time Friday night. We joined together with some of the other team members from his soccer team. And the, the coach threw a, a pool party and a barbecue for the team. And they, they were very thoughtful. And they went out and they, they had trophies ordered with the kids' names on the trophies. And then to my surprise, at the end, they presented me with a plaque as one of the assistant coaches and had my name on the plaque. That was nice. I wasn't expecting that. It's not why, it isn't why I helped, but it was thoughtful. But you know, more times than not, we're not going to get a plaque. We're not going to have a name somewhere. We're not going to have a billboard saying this is what so-and-so's done. We're not going to have people going door-to-door like we've had some this last week. Hey, are you going to vote for so-and-so? I'm not saying that that's wrong, but a lot of times we're not going to have that recognition. But God's recognition is enough. If we're doing God's work for him, his recognition is enough. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?